Welcome, welcome ladies to the Women's Esprit morning session here at camp meeting. I am so excited again for what God is going to do. I'm going to get my notes out and uh, just get organized for just a minute. If you all would, if, if you all would come forward and let's, let's get, um, let's just be together a little bit more. And I've got Sister Bingham, if you'll come to the platform, Sister Williamson and Sister Tilly, if you'll come to the platform. Let me just get my notes out. Help me. I'm used to already having it out. taken the time out of your busy schedule and come out to be with us. And I can tell you it's going to be worth it. I can tell you. But you're from various churches in the Kentucky district. Maybe you're from another state. We are glad to have you. I want you to know that. And I honor Brother Stephen Cook, of course. I honor their all their uh, workers who have helped in the other church. There's even other churches that have helped that I, I'm not aware of, and I don't want to miss anybody. Anybody that's done anything, thank you so much. But thank you for being here. We are blessed. I want to also just very briefly, and, and I'm leaving them up here because sometimes we just need to keep looking. We just need to keep looking. We need to know that you are, ladies, you are fantastic. We need to know that we appreciate one another. I believe that goes a long ways, and we need to know that. So just for a few more minutes. All right. I want to just very quickly introduce my wonderful team. I am the, my name is Vicki Lee, for those of you who don't know me, I said this last night, and I think most of you do know me. Women's Esprit, President of Kentucky, thank you. It is an honor to serve you. Yes. I want to tell you this, it is an honor to do anything for the kingdom. Thank you for um, having faith in me. Sister Williamson, if you'll come forward, and Sister Tilly, they have, um, without them, Come on down, Sister Tilly. Sister Tilly, she is the vice president. And Sister Williamson, who I know everybody knows Sister Williamson. 
<laughs> the superintendent's wife, yes, of Kentucky. But she is also the secretary, and I'm telling you, there's a lot with the secretary job. So she has just kept everything in line, and we appreciate that so much. So Sister Tilly wanted to just very quickly um, say something to you all. I'm going to let you all be seated, and then we're going to dance in. <laughs> we'll be up here all day. But Sister Tilly just wanted to say something right now, and then um, we're all going to go ahead and receive the two tokens. So thank you. If you'll just lay those over there just so they're facing someone. I asked to say something at camp because I won't be here for fall. I won't be at the fall conference because my grandson's getting married and his rehearsal is Friday night, 22nd, and 23rd of September will be his wedding. So I just want to tell you, thank you, ladies, for that voted for me, for giving me this opportunity to do something for God. I want to give honor to Sister Lee because she definitely pushed me out of my comfort zone, way, way out of my comfort zone. Uh, she worked me, but I love to work in the kingdom of God. I've got to be doing something. So I really do appreciate her because I had opportunity to do things that I've really never had a, a chance to do before. You know, I've had the Holy Ghost since I was 17, so that's 16 years ago. But the Lord has just opened doors recently, and I want to talk a little bit about the prison ministry. I've got to hurry. I've got three minutes. <laughs> um, I had a burden for it when I first heard that Sister Reinhardt was doing this. That was 10 years ago. And I prayed for it to come to Kentucky District. And I'm not trying to say I'm the only one that prayed. But I prayed for it to come to the Kentucky District. And 2020, you know what happened. We were going to have it. Well, finally, it's here. And God has opened up that door. And I just wanted to let you know that I'm still going to be working in the kingdom of God. I love all of you Kentucky District ladies. As far as I'm concerned, we have the best. And I appreciate all of you. And I'm still going to be praying for you. I'm still going to be working in the kingdom. Any way that God opens the door, I'm still going to be caring about you ladies, praying for you, loving you. And I just thank God uh, for the prison ministry and for the opportunity he gave me, and I'm, I, I plan to continue. Uh, you know, there are people, even apostolic people, saying, oh, you've got a heart condition, this and that. You need to slow down. I'm not going to slow down unless God slows me down. I want to die with my boots on. I want to work in the kingdom. So if I die working for the Lord in his kingdom, what's wrong with that? I don't see anything wrong with that. So I'm going to keep on working. If the Lord wants me out of the way, he'll move me out of the way. I want to close with this. This is uh, something that the Lord gave me two years ago. Lord, I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your grace. I took up so much room. I crowded you out of my space. When I changed from I to we, I found out joyfully. More of you and less of me. To unlock happiness, that is the key. How can I be used of thee when I continue to think of only me? You know all things, but so little I know. Your way, not mine, has saved me so much woe. I learned the hard way, but now I know. To let you in, I have to go. been an honor working with Sister um, Tilly. She is a giving person and she will do anything that you ask her to do and that is such a characteristic that we need in the kingdom of God. I have got to bring forth just a couple little things. If you are a pastor's wife or you are a director like of a women's 
group in your church, would you stand? You're a pastor's wife or you're, a, you know, you do the directing of the women in your church. Okay. I just very briefly need to meet with you afterwards, just very, very briefly, okay? We'll not take up much of your time. In Channels of Blessings, every year we do push. We start right away from time, May 15th in. We start again trying to reach a goal for the next year. We are hoping to go over our mark that we made. We was at over $3,000, and we hope next year to keep exceeding. And actually, in the last six, eight years, I think it's been every year we keep exceeding on that amount. So thank God. I'm going to get the preliminaries out of the way. Um, on the women's is free dues. Please support that. If you are a pastor's wife, please support it. It's only $60 in the whole year. And the reason we do that for Women's is Free is so that we will have monies in our account to support when we have a conference, when we have a speaker in Kentucky, not the national, when we have um, things that we need to buy and so on for our conferences. It helps with the January meeting that we had where we focused on the beginning of 2023, what we was going to do and, and meeting together. And now it's, it's with this today, what we're doing right now. So it does make a difference. The $60 does make a difference. Very quickly, the... conference, I just need to briefly announce that, is on the September the 22nd through the 23rd at Brother Handy's church. And you all need to come to that. So, Sister Williamson, would you come up just real quick and go ahead and Any 
bodies and ordered the t-shirts. They are out of very nice fabric. You can get two different types of thicknesses there. All different sayings that they are offering. And that advertisement as we'll just you can wear them out in public. And people will come up and ask you questions. Oh, what's that? What's that? That opens up the door for you to tell them about the, the prison ministry. And I will say for myself, my life totally changed the first time I went to that conference and I saw them. I have never been the same. In fact, after I got home and uh, still, I'll recall things that have happened from last August. And I'll wake Brother Williamson up in the night. And honey, did I tell you about such and such? And, you know, he just constantly said, well, he got to go to the conference that was in July uh, this year. And that's you know, the first time he had got to go. So he told them all, okay, now it's my turn to wake her up in the middle of the night and say, honey, do you remember when this happened? Do you remember when that? But it is a life-changing experience. And you talk about worship. Those girls come with one thing in mind. When they walk through the door, their hands are raised, and they come to the front, and they start worshiping. We need to take lessons from them. And as one sister said, they're not the ones that are in prison. We're the ones that put ourselves in prison because we're not worshiping God the way that we should. For every shirt that is purchased, $10 goes back to the Women's Retreat, to the prison ministry. So I would encourage everyone, order, order one in every color, with every stain. That could be your wardrobe. But uh, they are great in I am going to take up an offering. I believe that you are blessed. The Bible teaches we are blessed when we give. And I know there's a lot of expense. I know inflation is, is affecting all of us. I told my husband, there's just two of us, and I am feeling the crunch like I have never felt before, and there's just two of us. I cannot imagine what families are feeling. So we are aware of that. But you know what? Never, never in all of my years... Never has my cupboards been empty or my gas tank empty. I'm telling you, I've lived this, and I have always, always believed in this, and I have never suffered any negative. It is always positive. God has always blessed our home. He's always kept the needs have always been taken care of, and I am thankful so much for that. Sister um, Olivia, our sister cook, is there a sister cooking here? Okay. She's with, okay. Anybody know where there's an offering, um, something I can take up offering in? Anything at all? Well, if there is, I'm staring right at it, and I don't see it. Does anybody back here see it? Okay. Okay. Well, I can... Hold on, let me empty the bag.
I will be done. And I want to just very quickly give this this out. Right up here. You're right up here. Come and lead us in prayer over the offering. Lord, Lord, we come to you today thanking you for this gathering of these ladies, Lord. And we come to you to glorify your name, but also to work for the kingdom, Lord. And we pray, Lord, a blessing over this offering. May you bless each and every one as they give. And those that have nothing to give, you bless them. Bless us in this service and bless the speakers. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Sister Ray's out of Bedford, Kentucky. Appreciate their ministry so much. Thank you for giving. Jones up here. Mr. Jones, you're you're texting me. <laughs> My phone is dinging. I'm like, where is that? You're fine. You're fine. She's giving me that photograph that we all took down at the National. And like I said, I want to get that up for everybody to see. Okay, if everyone would stand, we're going to go into the most important part of the service. I get to introduce a wonderful lady. Some of you have and have not met, but today we're going to meet her. I want to tell you just a little bit about her. Her name is Sister Tiffany Bingham. She is a mother of four and a grandmother of two. And I was like, who is a grandmother already? <laughs> Listen, when people used to talk to me about being a grandmother, I was, I mean, they would just get so caught up in their grandkids, and they'd go on and on when I'd be at work, and I'd be like, you know, because I thought, she has kids, I know, I know, but you know what, I didn't get it, grandkids are like the ultimate, ultimate uh, blessing, uh, I mean, nobody could have prepared me for the uh, blessing that is in grandchildren. And it's just like God, God knows what to do at the um, sta different stages of our life. Isn't that awesome? He knows how to give us things that will just be such a thing. It will just inspire us over and over again. She's a grandmother, too, another on the way, she said. And she and her husband, and I want to say his name right. Is it Lebanon? Lebanon. I knew I was going to say it wrong. Lebanon. 
have served in ministry for the past 20 years. So she's not a newbie. <laughs> Together, they have served as youth, youth pastors, college and career pastors, and lead many other ministries, such as outreach, children's ministries, and visitor follow-ups. Tiffany assisted in establishing a private school on their church campus, while LeBannon <laughs> served as the school's principal. See, I'm not this smart. We've got somebody really smart back here. <laughs> LeBannon, thank you. Sister Tiffany holds dual Bachelor of Science degrees in chemistry and human biology from Indiana University. She currently serves as a medical researcher for Indiana University and works as a lab scientist in one of the school's many research labs. Tiffany is pursuing her MD in neuropsychiatry while practicing as a double board certified mental health coach. She is writing a book exploring the human brain and spirituality and recorded her very first podcast last week. Wow, that's all I can say, wow. <laughs> I mean, and she's going to put that knowledge and that wisdom into ladies and apply it with the biblical principles that we, all, that we have. And I am so thankful for that. And we are going to allow God. I'm, listen, I know we, get, we have to do things just right, but I just want us to loosen up and let God. Okay? Because sometimes we miss it because we are so concerned about dotting all the T or dotting all the I's. See, I'm not so smart. <laughs> dotting the T's, crossing the T's, dotting the I's that we miss it because we get so caught up in that. We're so worried. I've got to get every little thing on the note. Got to get it just right. Say it just right. That we miss sometimes what God wants to do. And he wants to do, I can tell you it has been confirmed that God does want to do something right now. Not just another women's free meeting. Okay. I mean something where we can go out and we can have meat to chew on. But also that we are changed. We've got needs today, ladies. It may not be the need that I have, but we've got needs today. You would not be here without that. You have come to get something that you can, not only for yourself, but that you can give out to somebody else. Isn't that what it's about? If we grow, if we will grow spiritually, then what happens? It flows out on the ones that don't have. It flows out. That's what we want to do today. We want to grow ourselves so that we can help somebody else. That's what it's all about. Sister Bingham, come and take this over. And you just have your liberty. And let's pray one more time. I love to pray. I love the intercession that was at this, this altar last night. We're going to have that again. Let us stand and pray right now. Sister Bingham, you want to lead us in prayer? Thank you, Jesus, for this day. Thank you for the opportunity, God, that we have to be in your presence. God, I pray that you would be with us. Lord, that the words that are spoken today, God, that they would be from your heart. Lord, that they would be your will and your purpose. God, let every mind be set on you. Let the motives of every heart, God, be true and perfect, righteous in your eyes. God, we give you glory, we give you honor, we give you praise for all that takes place in this place today. 
God, you are worthy, and we thank you in Jesus' name. You may be seated. That introduction sounded really nice, but it also kind of sounded like the female equivalent of a midlife crisis. <laughs> you know, men buy Corvettes. I go to school. <laughs> But I'm so excited to be here today. Um, I'm looking around the room and I see exactly two people that I know in front of me. It's so good to see Sister Williamson and Sister Tilly. Um, I've, I don't even remember meeting you, so I'm assuming I've known you my entire life. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good to see you. And Sister Tilly, the last time I saw you, I think I was still a bratty teenager. I'm not real sure. <laughs> I lived in Kentucky many, many, many moons ago. My, my brother-in-law, um, Tim Gill, used to pastor in Kentucky, and I lived with them out of high school. So, uh, but I, first of all, I would like to um, give honor to Sister Lee. Uh, thank you for this invitation, for this opportunity. I appreciate it. Um, I hope that I can do you some justice, do you some honor today. And to the Praise Temple ladies for sharing your beautiful facility. I don't know exactly who the Praise Temple ladies are, so I'm going to look across the entire um, audience. But thank you for sharing your facility for this camp. I'm sure you probably do it for other things as well. It's beautiful, and I am grateful to be part of it today. I realize that many of you don't know me. My name is Tiffany. Um, not sure how my parents came to that conclusion. I was born in the 70s. My dad wanted me to be named Shalom. And my sister, who was 14 at the time, wanted me to be named Bambi. Can you imagine Dr. Bambi Bingham? Wouldn't have been a good fit. But I am Tip to most people. Sister B to many people. I'm Mama to four. Gigi to two, almost three. Shuggy to one, <laughs> and redeemed, blessed, chosen, preserved <laughs> by the only one that matters. We are wonderfully and uniquely and perfectly designed by a loving father. He has the ultimate imagination. So for the next... 30, 35 minutes, I'm going to try to slow down. I typically don't speak in these settings. I, I do a lot of public speaking, but it's in an academic setting, so it's a completely different. It's very quick. It's very, you know, facts, and then you sit down. So I'm trying to slow my speech. I hope I don't overshoot that and slow it down too much. But for the next little while, I'd like to talk about mental health. Um, and I would like to share a portion of my, my personal testimony as well. As Sister Lee mentioned, I am studying to be a neuropsychiatrist. It's a really, really long word for someone who helps people with their emotional problems, but they do it from a physical standpoint. So I would treat the actual brain, the organ, uh, and the other organs of the body, of course. But I study the brain. That's my specialty. Um, but mental illness is the only condition where the patient 
and not the illness is considered to be the problem. If you have a heart patient, you don't think of the patient as being the problem. You think, they've got a heart condition. With mental illness, unfortunately, the reverse is usually true. Mental illness is the second most common reason for hospitalization. The number one reason is pregnancy and birth. Mental illness is the second. <clears throat> we don't ignore heart health, right? We don't ignore cancer. We have entire campaigns for weight loss and body sculpting, all of the things. And heaven help us if we would ever ignore COVID. But we tend to ignore mental health or we tend to kind of shush it, put it to the side. Many people refuse to talk about depression, anxiety, OCD, bipolar disorder, um, because they fear that shining a light on these things, on, this, on these topics, if we shine a light, it's gonna cause it to grow, right? That's, that's kind of the general idea. If you, if you highlight something, that's just gonna make it worse. It's just gonna make it grow. But from a biology standpoint, things don't grow from light. We teach children that in school, and we teach them incorrectly. Sunlight doesn't cause a plant to grow. Sunlight does feed a plant, but plants grow from the roots. They grow from where things are dark, where they're hidden, where they're buried. And not only do they grow from there, that's where they multiply. They get bigger and bigger. 19 days after conception, the brain grows at a rate of 700 neurons per second. That's a lot of brain cells. Neurons are the, the nerve cells, the brain cells that originate in the brain and they're what control everything in the body. Okay, I'm gonna go science just a little bit, but I, I'll, I, won't, I won't go too deep into it. Neurons are what tell us we can move, we can eat, we can speak, uh, we can walk, we can digest food, they tell our heart to beat. Neurons are the way that the brain controls every other aspect of the body. Um, and neurons are what create our hormones. A lot of times we say our hormones come from our brain. Mm? Yes and no. Our hormones come from our neurons, and those are in the brain mostly, but they're in other areas of the body too. But um, dopamine, you've probably all heard that magic word. Dopamine plays an important role in our mental health. If we have too little dopamine, we become depressed. If we have too much dopamine, we become schizophrenic. And then there's different um, points along that line in between that ADHD falls on that line. The dopamine affects ADHD. But the neurons that secrete dopamine, so those cells in the brain that create the dopamine or don't create the dopamine, they take up less than 1% of all of the neurons in the entire body. So less than 1% has an, a hiccup and it causes our entire world to go black. A neuron looks like a tree. You've probably seen pictures of them. Um, they literally, it's long, it's long skinny body and the top has like a little, looks like tree branches. 
these little things at the top are called dendrites. That's what shoots our hormones into our body, into the other areas of our body. But neurons are really cool. They are the neatest cell in the body. They can't touch. If one neuron touches another, one dendrite happens to brush against another, both of those neurons, both of those uh, brain cells die. It's just the way that God created it. We can't really explain why. We don't know why. I don't need to know why. He did it, not me. But they, if they touch, they die so that they send these signals back and forth to each other, these arch signals back and forth um, in the brain. But they are, there are billions, billions and billions of neurons in our brain. So to give you an example of how close they are, if you were to look at one strand of hair on your head and you were to take a razor blade and slice that hair in half, so you had two pieces, and then slice it again and again and again. If you would do that 3,220 times, that's approximately how close those neurons have to exist without touching. And that's how easy it is to develop a mental illness. That's how easy it is to have depression. That's how easy it is to feel anxiety. <clears throat> it's not some huge failure. It's an, an, easy, an easy thing to happen. Mental health is a topic that's unfairly overshadowed by stigma. The brain gets sick just like any other organ in the body, right? There's no shame in mental illness. There's no shame in depression or anxiety or ADHD or OCD or bipolar. There's a lot of illness or condition that falls under the mental health umbrella. Um, but there's no shame in any of them. There's only shame when we invite it in when we make room for it in our lives, when we re rearrange relationships so that it feels more at home, when we displace the lasting things in our lives, the things that are concrete, the things that we need that matter, to make room for something that was only ever supposed to be temporary. When we sweep everything that's familiar to the side and we erect a monument to what should be a temporary condition, then that, on, that monument becomes an idol to our mental illness. And it casts a shadow that's large enough to cloud our entire life. A shadow so large and dark that it blots out the sun, it hides the path in front of us, and we lose our way. That's when we allow shame to take root. Proverbs 13.10 says, Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. God wants us to learn how to handle the trial of illness with wisdom, just as we would any other trial. He has given us life, and it's our duty to steward the life that he's given us through reason and wisdom while trusting ultimately in him. 
We're still responsible for the stewardship, right? Sometimes our faith has to stand up and go for a walk. Sometimes our faith has to grow legs. Sometimes we need counseling. Sometimes we need professional therapy. Our first effort should be prayer, right? We're taught that from day one. There is no substitute for prayer. There's no pill that substitutes prayer. There's no therapy session that substitutes prayer. There's no fasting period of time that substitutes prayer. Prayer is prayer. It is an unwavering, concrete thing that we have to have as part of our life, as part of our daily living. But, there's a but, poor mental health is hard. I don't know, and I'm certainly not going to ask a show of hands, but I don't know if you have ever struggled with depression, if you've ever struggled with anxiety. Those things, they're hard. It's hard to battle something that's in your own mind. It's one thing if you have a sore on the outside of your body and you can battle it, right? You can put the bandage on it or you can put the, the ointment on it. But to battle something that's inside that you can't see, something you can't put your hands on, but you know it's there, that's a hard, hard battle. It's one of the most difficult wars that we fight. And when that happens, we need the strength of others. God has placed pastors, ministers, and other spiritual leaders in our lives. They are the first responders. But sometimes our injury requires more than a first responder. And that's okay. The need to seek professional therapy outside of spiritual counseling is not a reflection of your pastor's capabilities or of the church's limitations. I refuse to criticize the church for its handling of the mental health topic. If I'm being honest, I'm sick to death of seeing posts on social media about the church has failed this, and the church has failed that, and the church isn't just, mm-mm. <laughs> that's not true. That's absolutely, that's not the church's job. That was never the church's job. God never ordained the, the organizational structure of the church to be our mental health therapist, right? If the church has failed to help those who struggle with mental health, then it's also failed to supply nutritional information to the obese, right? It's also failed to provide legal advice to the accused. It's failed to offer investment advice when you're trying to save money. And I'd really, really, really like to know where the church was when I was struggling with physics because they didn't provide me help then either. <laughs> it isn't the church's responsibility to have the answers for a mental crisis. It's not the church's responsibility to have the answers when there's a heart attack. It's not the church's responsibility to have the answers for diabetes. But it is the church's responsibility to support and encourage the healing process. And that's the role that our pastors and our leadership fall into. The church, the bride of Christ, she hasn't failed at anything. She's doing exactly what she was designed to do more than 2,000 years ago. She's a bride. She's anxiously awaiting the return of her groom. The church is the very best place for the mental health discussion. 
We should be empowering our pastors and our pastors' wives and our ministry leaders. Expecting them to have the answers is like asking our cardiologist how to change a brake pad. In most cases, our leaders aren't licensed therapists. God didn't call them. My pastor, my brother-in-law is my pastor. God didn't call him to be my therapist. He didn't call him to be a counselor. He called him to be a pastor. Now there are pastors who have those abilities, absolutely. But that wasn't his calling. Seek help from someone that's qualified to offer it. Far too often when we're in crisis, and I don't say crisis flippantly, the brain literally believes the body is in crisis when you are struggling with depression and anxiety and other things. I'm going to stop saying and other, other things, okay? So from now on, when I say depression or anxiety, you add on and other things in your mind. The brain literally believes that the body is under attack. And there's nothing that you can, there's not a thought that you can think to change that feeling that's in the body. The way that God made us. But far too often, and thank God for friends, but far too often we reach down to the other end of the pew to Sister Sarah. I hope there's not a Sarah here. If there is, I'm not talking about you. <laughs> far too often we reach down to the other end of the pew to Sister Sarah to be our therapist, right? And we need friends, but to put our faith in, in someone who isn't trained to help it's a wasting of the resources that God's given us. God's creation is perfect. The human body is the most elaborate design in existence. The smartest doctors and scientists, the greatest inventors, they've tried and failed for over 400 years to recreate or alter the processes of the body. We can fake some things but not very many. Nothing that man has made has ever been a, even a close comparison to God's design. The body, the human body, in its brokenness, in its imperfection, the human body is perfect. God's design is perfect. It is without errors. He does all things well. But when we ignore our own suffering, we fail to be good stewards of the only creation God breathed his breath into. We are living representations of God on earth. We are his image bearers. Nowhere in the Bible does it imply that we have to endure suffering because God refuses to heal and wants us to suffer. Somehow we've confused Jesus, I trust you, with I must suffer. The decision to seek treatment or take medication is rarely a matter of right or wrong. Sometimes it is, and that's when your, your spiritual authority comes into play. But for the most part, it's rarely a matter of right or wrong. You can trust Jesus and go to therapy. You can trust Jesus and take medication. So let's talk a little bit about medication, right? That's the tricky one. Um, kind of a touchy subject, especially in a church setting. I am, as Sister Lee had mentioned, I am a, I'm a 
trained scientist. That's what I do um, on a daily basis. My real job, my job that uh, supports, I guess, all of my other, my learning habits. Um, and I have studied medicine. I've studied the ins, the outs, the, the effects that it has on the body. I understand the bad sides, that there are horrible side effects. I understand the benefits. But anything that is done and done with reason, done with wisdom, the decision is rarely a right or wrong one. In 1 Kings, we find the story of Elijah. Remember, Elijah had just performed probably one of, I say one of his greatest miracles, that's my opinion, but one of his greatest miracles. I mean, it was just, you know, drown this with water and let's let this burn. Oh, no, let's do this different tomorrow. Let's, let's let this burn and let's drown. He had just went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, right? He had just, he had worn God and everybody out, proven. God's right. He's in control. He is the one, the only. And then we find Elijah in 1 Kings. We find him hiding in a cave, right? He's scared. He's crying like a little sissy lala. Jesus, what, where God, where are you? Where are you? I just did all of these wonderful acts. Where are you? Right? And God says, you need to eat a snack. I'm going to send some birds. You eat a snack. You lay down. Cry yourself to sleep. Have a little nap. When you wake up, we'll talk again because I have something for you to do. But before all that, God asks Elijah, my word's not his. God asks Elijah, he says, what are you doing? And Elijah says, I'm, I'm here. I've done all of these things. And God says again, what are you doing? God needed Elijah, or God knew, that Elijah needed to say. He needed to vocalize for himself what he was struggling with. That was important. God understood that. He created the human form. He knew that. But... God fed Elijah before he addressed his spiritual needs, right? He took care of him. He corrected him. He got him back on the path and back in the right, in the right mode of operation, you know, and he went on down the road and baptized. And, but before all of that, he fed him. His physical needs came before his spiritual ones at that time. In the New Testament, Jesus fed the multitudes and then he preached to them. Physical healing, physical health doesn't always come before spiritual healing. That's not what I'm trying to say, but I am trying to say the Bible has shown us multiple examples that the two are equally important. They're equally important to God. Isaiah, Isaiah made a mixture of figs and put them on King Hezekiah's boil. Now, we might not use figs as medicine, but back then they did. Mandrakes were medicine. Well, we still use mandrakes today. We just don't call them that. But he used figs for King Hezekiah. I think that story is so interesting because King Hezekiah, what is it with these men and crying? King Hezekiah was laying in bed, and he, like my, my version of the story, okay, my take. King Hezekiah is laying in bed, and he flops over and faces the wall. And he is weeping and travailing. And God says, okay, I'll give you 15 more years. Right? 
but he's sick. Remember, he had an illness. So the prophet comes in and makes a poultice of figs, which I find interesting. God could extend the man's life for 15 years, but he couldn't heal his boil. He could do it. He could do it. But there was a place for spiritual healing, and there was a place for physical healing, for medicine. The Good Samaritan, he bound the wounded man's injuries with oil. And we can't forget Timothy. Sweet little Timothy. Timothy served in Ephesus. He was a young man. Remember, Paul was talking to Timothy when he said, uh, forsake not thy youth. Timothy was a young man trying to pastor a bunch of reprobates. He was shy and he was anxious. We know he had anxiety, not only from his, you know, drink a little wine because he was sick. Not only from that, but when Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, that was the first thing he told them. <laughs> he said, um, please be, put Timothy at ease. So we know that, that Timothy lived with, with some degree of anxiety. But in another place, Paul reminded Timothy, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, right? We all, we all know that one. But of power and of love and of a sound mind. Timothy's anxiety had probably given him an ulcer. That's probably what the whole thing was with his stomach, with wine, needing to drink a little wine. Paul wasn't suggesting that it's okay to day drink. <laughs> He was just saying, you know what? Drink a little wine. Lay off the nasty water that you guys are drinking daily. Drink a little wine. It'll fix what's wrong with you. Paul was the one who suggested that. And prior to that, do we remember Paul's history? Right? Paul, who was originally Saul. Right? Paul, who uh, he, he had been blinded. Remember, he was blinded on the road to Damascus. Uh, he had handkerchiefs carried from his body to the sick. He wasn't even physically with them. Handkerchiefs were carried from his body to the sick, and they were healed. Not because of Paul. We know that. It was God working through him. But Paul had witnessed those kind of miracles, right? Um, he shook the venomous snake off into the fire, remember? Didn't touch him, didn't bother him. The Bible tells us he had healed the father of Publius. Paul had performed many miracles. He was not unfamiliar with the miraculous. But yet he still recommended medicine for Timothy's ailment. Why didn't he just cut off a piece of his robe and hand it to him? I mean, it had worked before, right? God, speaking through Elisha, told Naaman to dip seven times in the Jordan to heal his leprosy. Prior to that, God had performed miracles ten times through Naaman before that. Um, or I'm sorry, through Elisha before that event with Naaman. So if that's the case, why did he need to go wash in the Jordan? There had been miracles before, and that was miraculous. But I'm talking about the, the divine, that instantaneous healing. Why did there have to be an added something uh, you know, to, to make it happen? It certainly wouldn't have been odd if his disease had dried up, if his leprosy had dried up, right? Elisha had seen that. God didn't ask Luke to give up the practice of medicine in order to be a Christian. Jesus knew that physical health 
would require treatment at times that spiritual health didn't address. He knows that. He created this. He understands. A single prayer can heal your mind. Please don't think that I'm suggesting for every time you feel a little dark cloud that you've got to run to a therapist or you have to swallow a pill. That's not what I'm suggesting. That's not who we are, right? We started with prayer. That's who we are. So a single prayer can heal your mind. You can battle something for years and in one service, in one prayer, maybe not even a prayer of your own, in one prayer that can be gone. But you can also pray until you run out of words and still have a vitamin D deficiency, still feel like you're depressed. Investing or not investing in our spirit, in our physical health, always directly affects our spiritual health. The physical always affects the spiritual every time. The primary purpose of our body is to provide a place for the Holy Spirit to dwell, right? This is the temple, is to provide a place for the Holy Ghost to dwell. Without our physical bodies, we can't experience the plan of salvation. It's important to God that we care for his creation using all of the tools that he's made available to us. Now, you won't find Lexapro Celesta, Wellbutrin, Coumadin, Prozac, Ibuprofen, Aspirin. You won't find those things in the Bible. But you will find oil, wine, figs, mandrakes. Those were all used to treat illness. Some of those we still use today, actually. God sometimes uses medicine as an avenue for healing. Why do we have such a hard time accepting that? It's amazing to me. We have no problem believing God spoke through a donkey. Right? I don't doubt that happened. I have no problem believing that he spoke through a donkey. But man, tell me that I might need to take some medicine for a few weeks. Uh, I have a problem with that. <clears throat> we experience depression when we don't have enough dopamine. We talked about that a while ago. Medicine tells the brain to make more dopamine. Okay, so we're just going to talk about just depression just to use it as an example. We don't have enough dopamine, so the brain says, hmm, we need more. For whatever reason, our dopamine needs and our brain aren't in sync. So we go get a prescription for medication. The way the medication should work, the way the medication should work, we take it, it causes our brain to take, make just a little bit more dopamine than it was, okay? When it starts creating that, then we start feeling better, which means we're supposed to start getting exercise, start going outside for a walk, start being in the sun more, because those are the things that cause our body to naturally make dopamine. But unfortunately, what we find ourselves doing is we say, oh, oh, thank God, the medicine's working. It sure is, but you aren't. We, we forget to do our part, right? Medicine wasn't intended to be a long-term fix. 
medicine, one of my professors in school, he's actually my mentor, he's an incredible, incredible man. He says that if he could take the word cure out of anything that is medically related, he would do it in a heartbeat. There's nothing about medicine that's curative. Medicine will never cure. I'm not anti-medicine. That's why I'm going to medical school because I want to be able to, to diagnose and to give people medicine if they need it. But medicine will never cure, ever, ever. It wasn't designed to do that. Medicine was designed to help us deal with the side effects of what we're feeling so that our body can do what God designed it to do and it can heal itself. The body will always heal itself. Every time. That sounds a little bit outrageous because I know some of you are thinking, mm-hmm, what about cancer? The body will always heal itself. But we depend on medicine sometimes so much that we impede those healing processes. Hmm. So, medicine. <clears throat> Let me give you an example of how medicine should work. Medicine is like, pretend you are on a, you're in the middle of the ocean. Not in the middle of the ocean, but you're a distance from shore, okay? You've jumped off the boat. I don't know why anybody would do this because the thought of this story scares me to death, but you jump off the boat into the ocean and you've decided you're gonna swim to shore, okay? So you're swimming, you're swimming, you're swimming, your body's exhausted you realize I can't make it to shore. I know, that, I know that my body can, it can't right now. Somebody miraculously throws you a, um, one of those life rings, those round floaty rings, right? You slip it over your head and you float. Your body rests, it stops fighting, it starts recuperating, and you eventually make it back to shore. Okay? That's how medicine works. All right? That ring, that life raft, that didn't save your life. That didn't get you back to shore. That held your body in a way, in a position that your body could do, thank you, that your body could do what it needed to do. That's how medicine works. It helps us for a time until our body can get back to doing what God created it to do. If we, if we uh, ignore the avenues of healing that God has provided, avenues of healing can be therapy, can be medication, but not just that, our faith. Faith is an avenue of healing. If we ignore the avenues of healing that God has provided, we do greater damage to his creation, right? So what is the greater wrong? Taking medicine or going to therapy to help or not doing either and destroying? If left untreated, every single mental illness damages the brain. I wish that I could have brought it. We um, were doing a uh, mental health conference in October, and I, I will have them there, but I have slides of um, brain scans. It's one of my favorite things to be able to study. But every mental health condition, to include OCD, you can visibly see on the brain. 
it's really pretty amazing. So if you can imagine, if you can see it, even if it's just a little something, you can see it on the brain, and if that's left alone long enough, and that gets bigger and bigger, remember, those dendrites, those neurons, they start firing in weird ways, and they start dying. The mind can't be healthy without the body, and the body can't be healthy without the mind. We're flesh and blood, and we were created by the hand of God, and then given the divine purpose of worshiping him. Praise is what we do, right? <clears throat> it's what we were created for. It's our weapon in every battle. But weapons don't win the war. You can have the biggest, strongest, most impressive weapons, but if you don't have a strategy for using them, you probably won't win the war. To succeed, there must always be a strategy. So what are your tools of strategy? As a Christian, the answers are obvious, right? Oh, faith. Faith and prayer. That's, that's how we win the war, right? Faith, prayer, praise. Absolutely. But as Christians, we hesitate to say that prayer isn't fixing what's wrong. We don't want to say that we've prayed earnestly only to get up and find depression still waiting for us. We don't want to admit that our prayer is sometimes interrupted by our anxiety or our inability to focus even when we're trying to have a conversation with him. Somewhere we decided that our walk with God wasn't genuine unless we suffered, suffered for the cause of Christ. To assume it's his will that we feel hopeless, anxious, or depressed doesn't make sense. Not one time in the Bible did God speak through emotion. He always spoke through reason. He always used intellect. He always had sound judgment. Right? Sound teaching. He didn't teach through emotion. It was always through intellect. 1 Corinthians says to do it all for the glory of God. How is suffering from anxiety and depression bringing him glory? Right? We're supposed to do it all for him. How in the world can I do that and it bring him glory, glorify him? By recovering in a manner that honors him. Our actions define us, not our suffering. I don't admire you because you struggle with anxiety. I don't admire you because you have OCD. I don't admire you because you have a little black cloud that follows you all day. I don't admire those things about you. I admire your courage. I admire your willingness to treat it, to address it, to not ignore it. I admire your bravery in caring for his creation. Think about somebody that you love. Somebody close to you. Friend, family member, coworker, somebody you go to church with, Sister Sarah at the other end of the pew. Think about somebody that you love. Now think about why do you love them? What's something about them that you love or something that you admire? I guarantee you it wasn't their mental processes. It wasn't their struggle, right? It was their strength. We admire strength. We don't admire struggle. My purpose today isn't to encourage you to run to the doctor. It's not to encourage you to, to go get a prescription for pills. I'm not trying to encourage any of that. If you need the aid of medicine, do it. But do it with wisdom. Do it with wisdom. Use it how it was intended to be used. 
If therapy is the answer, make an appointment. There are so many options available. You don't have to see a psychiatrist. There are, I'm a mental health coach. Uh, there are coaches, there are therapists, there are counselors, there are psychologists, there are psychiatrists. There's a lot of us. <laughs> all different levels. We all use the same modalities, though. You can, you can get... Uh, you can get so much help by connecting with someone like that. But when we assume that we alone have the answers to our problems, when we assume that I don't need that, I don't need therapy, I don't need to talk to somebody, I don't need to talk to somebody, I can work it out. I'll work it out. I've, I've lived with it this long. I'll work it out. When we assume that, that's vain philosophy. That's vanity. When we refuse to help ourselves, it's like we're saying to God, heal me how I want to be healed or don't bother doing it. What kind of logic is that? Right? What extreme vanity is it for me to say, God, don't bother. If you're not going to do it my way, don't bother. Don't bother. To become sick and refuse to do anything about it because it might not be God's will to heal you is childish. It's kind of like refusing to look for a job when you're out of work because God's going to provide. Well, sure he's going to provide. Absolutely. He's not going to let you he's not going to let you die, but he's probably going to let you go hungry. <laughs> he's probably going to let you fast. <laughs> it isn't logical. God wants us to do what we can. Your mind might be telling you that therapy isn't having faith. That's a big one, right? Taking medication, well, that's not having faith. If you see a therapist, that's, you must not have faith in God, right? You've pray, if you can't pray about it, you have to trust somebody else to help you. Yeah, you, you probably, your faith's probably a little shaky. But where in the Bible does it say that stewardship and faith are opposite? I can't find it not even a logical ar argument. When we hear the word stewardship, we usually think money, right? Being a good steward, a good steward of our finances. We hear that when we think about, we think about money when we hear that. So if we put it in the money perspective, in your church, say you're going through a building fund or a building project, I'm sorry, and your pastor decides to take up pledges, right? Faith pledges for the building fund. And you raise your hand. I'm going to pledge $1,000. I'm going to pledge $1,000. You have a month to pay it. Well, what do you do for that month? You probably skip Starbucks in the morning. I don't know if there's Starbucks around here, but you probably skip Starbucks in the morning. You probably don't go to McDonald's nearly as often, if at all. You probably pinch pennies where, where you can. You don't go to the mall. There's no, there's no buying anything new, right, for that month you, because you want to be sure that at the end of that time, You've got your faith pledge, right? You've done the necessary things. Being a good steward between, of your money between now and when the pledge comes due doesn't erase the fact that the pledge was made in faith. Being a good steward has no effect on the faith that you had when you made that pledge. In fact, it does the opposite. It strengthens it. You made a promise in faith. And you took the necessary steps between the day of the promise and the day it was due 
to ensure that you could hold up your end of the deal. Caring for your mental health is the same thing. I have faith in God. You have faith in God. That he's going to bring you through whatever your trial is. You have faith that God's going to help you with your anxious struggle, right? With your anxiety. But in the meantime, God is the ultimate healer. In the meantime, it is still our job to steward his creation. We still have to steward our health. We still have to take care of ourselves. Like I was talking about the medicine. You can take medicine, but it's not the answer. We still have to steward ourselves in conjunction with that. It's not an answer. It's our job to be the best steward that we can until that day comes. Faith and stewardship aren't opposites. The Bible tells us very plainly. We say a lot of times, uh, you know, you, you can't live in fear, that that's not having faith. The Bible doesn't say that fear is the opposite of faith either. You can have all the fear you want and still have faith. The Bible tells us very plainly, what's the opposite of faith? We walk by faith, not by That's the opposite of faith. Being able to see the end. Being able to know the answer. Being able to see where I'm going. That's the opposite of standing here in my darkness. Standing here in my God, I don't know what to do. But I still trust you. That's faith. Right? You can, you can unfortunately... <laughs> Unfortunately, we're human. We can, we can live with these conditions, but we can still live in these conditions with faith because he is the ultimate healer. I can battle depression and still have faith. I can struggle with anxiety and still have faith. I can live in fear, although I don't believe that's the will of God. But the spirit of fear is something slightly different. I can, I can experience fear and still have faith. They're not opposites. You aren't failing you aren't less than because you struggle with depression. Living without depression is not your salvation. Depression is a condition of the mind, and it is one that 98.7% of the time can be treated. Very rarely is it a condition that we have to live with. Don't you dare believe a lie. Don't believe a lie. <laughs> Your illness is not a sin. Hear me today. Depression, anxiety, all of the others, that's not a sin. You're not living in sin because you feel these things, because you experience these things. It isn't a sin to be sick. They are illnesses. Mental health illnesses are not, I have this in capital letters right here, in size 16 font because I'm 46 years old. <laughs> Mental illnesses are not caused by Satan. We give Satan too much credit when we lay mental illness at his feet. Satan isn't a creator. He never has been. When he, when Lucifer was in heaven, and he was beautiful, and he was shiny, and every breath that he breathed was praise, was worship, and the glory of God reflected off of him. He was beautiful. He was breathtaking. He didn't create any of it. He didn't have the ability then. He doesn't have the ability now. Satan is not a creator. 
creator. He lacks creativity, so he has to use our infirmities to his benefit. He uses our infirmities as weapons. If God expected us to have it all together, to have all of the answers and know exactly what we were supposed to do, how to handle this, these situations at every moment, he wouldn't have provided us with 1500, over 1,500 years of written words, proof that in our brokenness, he's got us. He's got us without a doubt. The entire Bible is an instruction manual. It's encouragement for the weary. It's reassurance of the unyielding love of God. It's a promise of hope for tomorrow. These aren't sentiments that were given to the healthy and the perfect. The promises of God are lifelines. They're offered to the broken, to the imperfect. I don't know about you, but I'm broken. I, on my best day, I'm broken. On my best day, I'm imperfect. I am a wretched human being. There's nothing good in me. Nothing good except the part that, that's God, except the part that's the Holy Spirit. We are called to steward the gifts he's given us. Being a good steward isn't about giving back to God. It's about using what he's given us to further his kingdom on the earth, right? It's not about like the talents, the story of the talents. It's not about taking the gift he's given us and burying it to keep it safe. So when we steward our health, it's about doing it so that we can further his kingdom. The fields are white unto harvest, right? And we're the laborers, but are we healthy? Are we healthy enough to, to bring in the harvest? Can we bring in the harvest? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, This then is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Even in its frailty, our bodies are gifts to be stewarded. We are called to faithfully care for his creation. I um, would like to share my story. If you give me just a moment. It happened quite a while ago. So I'm, I don't know if I'll be emotional over it or not but I would like to share it with you. My husband and I, we've, as Sister Lee had mentioned, we've been in ministry our entire lives. We're both pastor's kids. Um, and several years ago, I had gone through a dark, dark time. Um, I didn't know what it was. I know that sounds absolutely ridiculous, probably, but I didn't. I had had four babies. I'd never had postpartum depression. I'm not necessarily this happy-go-lucky, but I neither am I, you know, I'm not Eeyore. The sky's not always falling. I had, I just never struggled, not, not in that way. And we were, I was standing on the platform one night in service, 
And I can remember I was praise singing because I was over here on this side. I was back against the wall. And in that moment, um, I experienced what's called suicidal ideation. It's not necessarily where you plan, I'm going to do A, B, and C to end my life. But it's where you have those, you have flashes, like ideas come to your head, like, you know, I could just run and jump off of this. Or I could just, you hear people say, you know, driving down the road, I could just drive my car into a tree and it would be done. That's suicidal ideation. And for the first time in my life, I experienced that. Standing on the platform, standing on the platform. We had had an incredible service. And my sister was actually making an announcement at the time, and she turned to ask me a question. And it was right in the middle of that feeling, that moment that I was having. And I couldn't answer her. I was just like a deer in headlights. You know, I've, I mean, I recovered well, right? We're women. We recover well, right? We put a smile on and we're like, oh, everything's fine. I recovered well in the instant, in the moment. But I remember walking out of that service and thinking, what is wrong with me? And as the days wore on, I would continue these feelings. I didn't entertain them. It wasn't like I would sit and think, hmm, what can I do today? But they would come unbidden in my mind. So I went to the spiritual authority in my life at that time. It's not where we live now, and it's not a completely different state. But I went to my spiritual authority in my life, sat down with them, told them what was going on. And... I got a pat on the back, actually a pat on my, on my knee, pat on my knee, and I told, I was told, it's time for you to start fighting some battles. Buckle up, it's spiritual warfare. And I thought, okay, I can do this. I can do this. I know the Bible. I can quote scripture, right? I can do this. I can fight this battle. So I went home. I prayed, and this is over a period of time, I prayed, fasted, I read my Bible, I had already been doing those things, but I did them even more, I searched for answers, and you know what, that feeling didn't lift, and then it got to the point where we would come home from service, after we had had a great service, I'd sit around talking to friends, fellowshipping, you know, basking in the love of Jesus. And I would come home. I would put my girls in their jammies. They were just little at the time. Now one is married and the other is 18. But I would put them in their jammies and put them in bed. And then I would go get in bed. And I would lay beside my husband every night. And I would wait for him to fall asleep. And when he would fall asleep, because I could feel and hear the change in his breathing, I would get a hold with both fists of the back of his shirt, his T-shirt. And I slept like that. Because in the night, when I woke up, even if I didn't fully, my eyes fully come open, but if I woke up, I knew I'd wake up long enough if I could still feel his body underneath my hands 
underneath my fence, then I knew God hadn't come back, and I knew there was still a chance. I still had one more day that I could fight this. Because why wouldn't you assume you were forsaken? Right? I had, I had done everything right. I had done everything I knew to do. I wasn't new at this. I had fought this battle the only way that I knew how to fight. And there was no letting up. There was no winning. I wasn't getting any further down the road. And I would sleep like that every single night. I, I lived, we lived that way for months. And my husband finally, after a period of time, he said, enough's enough. I had gone back to those who were, again, the spiritual authority in my life. This is not a reflection of them. I wasn't following the path that I needed to follow. They were advising me. They were advising me very well. They were giving me correct advice. Yes, it was a battle I needed to fight spiritually. But my prayers were bouncing off of an iron ceiling. I was crying out to God, God, help me, God, help me, God, help me. And it was like, it was like my words were mocking me. They were just bouncing back at me. I wasn't making any progress because I also wasn't taking the other steps that were necessary. I also wasn't looking at this from a physical standpoint. So we did, my husband did take me. We went to the doctor. Um, he put me on medication. I won't go into all of that here just for time's sake. It's not a secret. I'm happy to share any information you want. But he did, the doctor did put me on medication. I took medication for a time because I understood or I learned quickly what the process of it was. That, yes, it was a help, just like that ring in the middle of the ocean. It was a help. It was keeping me afloat. But it was keeping me afloat so those tired muscles could relax. So all that lactic acid, that's what makes your muscles burn. So all of that acid could wash out of my muscles and I could swim. That's what the medicine was doing for me. So for a time, sure, I took it, absolutely, but I did the other things too. I went on the walks and I got in the sun and I continued my prayer life. I didn't let that fall to the side. I continued in my submission to my, my pastor and my pastor's wife. Poor mental health is not a disqualification. Whatever you might struggle with, it's not a disqualification. It's a symptom, right? When we take medicine for a headache, we take aspirin, makes that headache go away. Thank you, Jesus, for the aspirin, but the aspirin didn't fix the headache. <laughs> if it did, that means your body was aspirin deficient. And I don't remember the last time any of our bodies were aspirin deficient. Poor mental health is a symptom means there is something wrong. The last thing I would like to say to you today is you matter. Your physical health matters. Your spiritual health matters. God created you with a divine purpose. We all have a calling. We might not all be a pastor, pastor's wife, or a ministry leader, but he called us to be saints. He called us to to further his kingdom, we all have a calling. Jesus, in the story of him raising Lazarus from the dead, Jesus knew Lazarus was going to raise, be raised 
raised from the dead, right? That wasn't a surprise. He didn't, he didn't go and command Lazarus to come forth and then be shocked because he walked out. He knew Lazarus was going to be raised from the dead. But do you remember what his reaction was when they came to him and told him Lazarus has died? He cried. He had faith. He knew, but he still cried. He still felt the human emotion in the moment. Let it be an example to us that there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with us experiencing the emotions and the feelings of our humanity. It doesn't lessen the depth of our faith. you need to be in Jesus. This is what this is about today. The Bible says that we're destroyed for lack of knowledge. Okay? That's why I always try to, um, I'm not going to go anywhere past the Bible. I'm going to stay in the Word like Sister Bingham's done. We're staying in the Word today. But at the same time, I want to understand what my adversary does to us. Okay? And sometimes when we have something wrong, listen, I don't talk about it. I've done it. I know. What I have a tendency, I'll bury it very deep. But the bottom line is when we have something, it's like she said, highlighting it doesn't mean that we go around and tell everybody, but it does mean we deal with it. Okay? There's a difference. She's saying today, let's deal with it instead of leaving it sit for another 20 years where that we don't get to do anything or we're on the pew. Do you understand what we're doing here today? We're expanding our heart. We're opening ourselves. We're putting some vulnerability here so that we can come out on the other side so that if you are experiencing something, you can say, hey, listen, this is not God's will because it's holding me back. Anybody understand that? If you can't grow or you cannot move forward, then whatever's hindering you, let's get rid of it so that we can get in the field today and be that 100% that God wants us to be. That's all we're saying today. Let's use what the knowledge that God has given us and then apply the wisdom of God to it. Let's get the job done. There are people 
There are ladies that I know that are hurting. That maybe you have a situation and you just, you know, you're not going to talk about it. But you can come and talk about it to God. Okay? And we are going to be here to pray with you. Listen, this is why I'm so glad we don't have to be anywhere today and we can just take our time, Sister Cook. There, the reason the, the women, the prison is so successful. Oh, I'm learning a lot, just one there. The reason it's so successful is because speakers come in and they're so real. They actually open up to those prisoners about things that normally we would not say in a church setting. Because we're all happy, right? <laughs> we're all got it, right? You understand what I'm saying? And so when they do that, those prisoners go, she's just as real as I am. She may not be incarcerated. She maybe, you know, didn't do anything. Well, some of them did do something. Now that I think about it, some of those speakers did was wanted at the in the law yeah <laughs> yeah we have had some but it shows them here's what it shows them it shows them the before and the after yeah. it shows them how that um sister maureen in california she won't mind me saying this <laughs> lord she brought her wanted poster <laughs> that girl was a mess but what she showed them was in her earlier years what god had brought her from so they could relate to that. And so they seen, they didn't see up here on the platform these ladies that were dressed to a T. They didn't see perfection except Jesus. But they seen real ladies like themselves that they could relate to. That they could feel, oh, she, she can understand where I'm coming from. She can understand this suit that I'm wearing. She can understand that I did something that I regret now. She doesn't look at me like that. Sometimes, not always. I do believe that we don't spill our guts to everybody. I, I don't believe in that, you know. That, that's an unwise, that's an unwise thing. But we do have to trust in each other. And the women of Kentucky are the best. And we do have to know that we're there for each other. And we have to be real sometimes. I need somebody that I can say, hey, would you buffet me a little bit? Would you be that person? Would you be that balance? So that I can just, at times, we all need that. We are not an Allen to ourselves. That is one thing that I admire about Women's Spree is because we need to be brought together so that we can function in a more powerful way. I want every lady, I'm not going to call you, I'm not going to ask you who needs this. Everybody needs this. I'm going to ask all of you to come down and gather together. And while this sister over here, Sister Cook's daughter, I'm sorry, I don't know your last name. <laughs> while she's playing, we're here to pray with you. Sister Bingham, I want you to go out and pray with people. Sister Tilly, I want you to go out and pray with the ladies. Sister Williamson, go pray with these ladies. And if you want special prayer, there's no shame. There is no shame here. God sent
simply wants, he simply wants us to find an answer for our dilemma, whatever that might be. Whatever that might be. And I praise God. You know what? I'm glad that there are apostolic counselors now. Years ago, years ago, I never heard of an apostolic counselor. And I've always believed that God is my ultimate counselor. I, I believe that, okay? But sometimes, sometimes, you might need just somebody to talk to. Sometimes you might need something else to, like she said, it doesn't heal, but it may get you to that place of healing, okay? It may get you to the next step, and that's what she's talking about. Let's take the next step. I've seen ladies sit in stuff for years. Let's not give the enemy that. Don't give the enemy your years of, of youth, your years of middle age, your years, whatever season you're in. Don't give him any more days or time. Don't give it to him. Say, no, no. My answer is here. My hope is here right now. It's right now. And I don't care what it is. And I, even if you're not experiencing it, if you're in this life, <laughs> you're bound to experience it somewhat. Can we pray together right now as she pray, as she plays? We're going to minister. Can you come a little closer, ladies? Yeah. Let's get close to the altar. The altar. Let's get close. It was made for the saints. Let's get close to the altar. I don't care what it is. I don't care if you've lost somebody. I don't care if you went through something. Sometimes pastor's wives. Whatever it is. Whatever it is. Let us find, find somebody to pray with. Come on up, ladies. Come on up. As close as you can get, just put yourself, just pull through. And let's pray right now in Jesus' name. Right now. That's it, ladies. That's it. That's it. That's it. You may not be affected right now. You may know somebody. You might know somebody who is going through something. Let's let them know. 